Let me open in prayer for us, okay? Let's really dig in and, and really seek God and his provision and his grace for what we're learning this morning. Father, we invite you to speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And we confess to you, Father, that there is something that truly is broken in us. And when we hear truth, we most certainly need the, the wisdom, the understanding, the revelation of your spirit to our hearts. And so we're asking you to do that right now. Give us clarity. Give us insight. Father, show us how to walk out in these spiritual gifts that you have bestowed upon your church in a way that honors you, in a way that is empowered, and in a way that builds up and extends your kingdom by the power and anointing of your spirit. So would you teach us now by that same spirit through your word in Christ's name, amen. I want you to imagine if you would, you are employed by a general contractor. No, not Cole, because Cole would not do this. But your general contractor has commissioned you. You have to build a house by yourself. And he says, before I leave, I want you to know I'm coming back in three months, but before I leave, I am going to need to do something. I did not use a white uh, sheet, but I used, of course, this very special Philadelphia Eagles blanket to cover this. He says, I need, I'm going to be taking away from you your hammer. You're not going to use your hammer. You're going to use, I don't know, what do you got there? A big old wrench. You can use your big old wrench to hammer those nails in. Next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take away your table saw and your circular saw. You want to cut the wood in the two by fours in the plywood? Do your best. Pull out your old worn out saw, hand saw, you know, one of these things, and you can use that to build the house. But I'm going to take this away. I don't think you're going to need it. Next, please don't use your tape measure because I am now taking it. And forget about your level. I'm taking that too, and I am just going to encourage you, do a really good job of eyeballing it, okay? Um, my feet happen to be 12 inches, and maybe I could just mark it off 12 inches by using my feet. Maybe something like that could work for you, but I'm going to take these. And then nextly, oh, my DeWalt drill that does not have a battery. I, I just got to, I just, you know, for us guys, we just, we just love that noise. That's, there we go. There we go. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. But I'm going to take your drill. Because I don't think you need it. You remember that old drill that you got from your grandfather? <laughs> one of those ones. You... Okay, that's the one you're probably going to need to use. But I'm going to take this from you. So just good luck. Remember, when I come back in three months, I expect this house to be built. Describe for me right now your feelings towards that general contractor. <laughs> Homicidal. Okay. I am suggesting it this way because there are those in our day, and may I say that they have good hearts because they are wanting to preserve what we call the canon. And I'm going to just touch on that briefly in a moment. But there are those in our day who believe that God did such a thing at the close of the apostolic age or the completion of the canon, if you will, confiscating, if I can use that word here, many of the spiritual gifts 
while reminding his people, build my church. There was a conference not too long ago entitled Strange Fire that uh, I'm not going to get into that. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe they're misguided. There's a misunderstanding of the word that, in my opinion, is very significant for the building up the church. Church, God has given us a commission. And he has said, use these spiritual gifts that I'm dispensing for you. They are supernatural, every single one of them. You're to operate in it, we learned last week, with love, with humility, Romans 12, in faith. And these things are not something that you're going to find in yourself. They are supernatural themselves because they are fruits of the Spirit, cultivated by the Spirit. So God is going to be building supernatural character in your life that is going to become the message through which then you will use the spiritual gifts, supernaturally empowered spiritual gifts. All of them, not just some of them. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to be taking your drill from you at the end of the age. That was not his heart. We need all of these. Cole, can you imagine the situation you would be in if a general contractor said to you, I'm confiscating half your tools? Good luck. And yet, there are many, and, and church, listen, there are many in our day, generally the term is used cessationist, that say at the end of the apostolic age, when the final words of revelation were penned, by that time, maybe even sooner, a number of the spiritual gifts, actually all of the ones mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, were confiscated, ceased, and they turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read several of those verses as proof of this. And my question is, church, this isn't just something. And I hope that Powerline is not some spiritual bubble that you live in. But when you contact other people in many churches, they're going to say amen to what I just said. Concerning Jesus at the end of the apostolic age taking away from the church many of these gifts, the gift of tongues, prophecy. We're actually going to be looking at tongues today, prophecy next week, and then we're going to move on with another series. But there is a misunderstanding of tongues and prophecy. And consequently, when they look around the church today, they don't see tongues, they don't see prophecy. And we need to get into this, and, and we need to wrestle with some of these questions. We need to understand what the Word actually teaches about this, and are they even for today? Because if they are not, the question is, why would God say, here, you can have half of these spiritual gifts, but then within just a few decades, remove them and say, good luck. I hope you do really well. I'm being a little bit sarcastic there. But the truth is, God has given us everything in Christ Jesus. And then he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And he empowered us. Or he empowered you. In the baptism of the Spirit, he empowered you, filled you with this Spirit. The Spirit came on you. Numerous synonyms used. So that to this one end, that we would reach the nations, that we would reach the nations, okay? This is our goal. Starting with your neighbors, your coworkers, this is our goal. How? By us walking in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, declaring a supernatural message called the gospel in love, humility, and by faith.
And so, as, as we, we look at this passage, I want you, you're there in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 12 and make a few comments. Love never fails. We talked about love last week. He gives a definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud, etc. And then he concludes with love never fails. And what he launches into now is what he actually means by love never. It will never end. It will go on and on throughout all of eternity. So love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, that is the message of knowledge, not just knowledge itself, but the message of the spiritual gift, the message of knowledge talked about in the previous chapter, it will pass away. Verse 9, for we know in part, that is exercise the gift of wisdom, the message of knowledge in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, or the King James, more literal versions, that which is perfect, because it's the neuter, that which is perfect is come, the imperfect, or that which is imperfect, disappears. And they would say that that which is perfect is the canon, the close of the scriptures. You're not going to need many of these spiritual gifts. The canon will be closed. Many of the spiritual gifts now gone because they reveal the word of God, the truths of God, and that is completely contained, they say, in the word of God. And so their heart really is to protect people like Mormons from adding to scripture, the pearl of great price and so on. Um, allowing the things from the apocrypha or pseudepigrapha being added to the scriptures. 66 books in the Bible, the canon is closed. So their heart is good. I just believe that their, their understanding of scripture is misguided. That which is perfect, they say, is the canon. And, and when the canon is done, at the end of the first century, then tongues will be stilled, knowledge will pass away. Prophecy that's in part, it will cease. Well, let me go on and then make some comments on this. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, we shall see face to face. Could you do me a favor and highlight, underline, put a box around, somehow emphasize that word now, and then later in the verse it says, then we shall see face to face. Do you see those two words? Okay, now do that again. Now, highlight box, whatever, high, make sure you, that word stands out. Now, I know in part, then put a box, highlight, underline, whatever you choose, make that word stand out to you. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, I want us to ask this question. I'm going to put my little board up here because as we move into understanding, specifically today, the gift of tongues, we need to begin by even asking this question, are all of these people right? Is, is, are, there, are, are their thoughts not misguided? Is there truth in what they're saying? Because if we're not careful, we will end up discarding numerous scriptures, not just misunderstanding this, 
So here's what I'd like us to do. First of all, I'm going to make a comment. As we went through those 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, five verses, you will have noticed a now and a then pattern. We call these parallel thoughts. I'm just going to walk you through these parallel thoughts. These are not my thoughts. I'm not superimposing some paradigm or some pattern on the text. This is clear, and you will see this. It says, for now we know in part, we prophesy in part, speak in tongues in part, spiritual gifts are in part, and therefore not complete or perfect. So do you see that? We know in part, we prophesy in part right now. That, but when that which is perfect is come, at some point, then the imperfect disappears. So the now is knowing in part. The now is prophesying in part. The then is that which is perfect is come. And when that happens, these spiritual gifts, they're not going to be needed. But his main point is love never fails. Love will continue on throughout all of eternity. Now, do you see his point here? So the question then is, and I have it highlighted, underlined, that which is perfect is come. What is that which is perfect? Is it the completed canon? That happened in the 90s, probably, if Revelation was penned in the 90s. Some believe it was penned in the late 70s. The truth is we don't know for sure, but more than likely, around 90, 95 AD. Is that when the canon was closed? And therefore, is that which is perfect? So that, ne so that then, which would be our now, these things disappeared, that prophecy, we, no, that was, that was set aside. Jesus confiscated that tool, if you will. Well, as we unfold this, we're going to see something unfold for us. It's, it says, now, you know, when I was a child, I talked and reasoned like a child. I thought like a child, but when I became a man. So he's using this as an illustration, an analogy. Child, now a full man. Maturity, okay? Now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. My question for you is this. When will you see face-to-face? -face? You will see face-to-face, -face, that is, you will see Jesus face-to-face -face in the world to come, the age to come. Not now. Now we see but a poor reflection. Now we understand God poorly. Now we actually operate in the spiritual gifts in an imperfect fashion. But then... We're not going to need these spiritual gifts to reveal God to us because then we're going to see face to face. We will, and, and he moves on and he says, now we know in part, we prophesy in part, speak in tongues, all spiritual gifts in part, but then we shall know fully, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And this Greek word for fully known, some of you just say known, it does mean fully. It, it's this fuller type of knowledge. It's not just gnosis, it's epignosis, epignosis. It's emphasized, it's, it's full, it's richer. When is it that you will be fully known? The scripture, when the canon was completed, is that when you were fully known? Is there, which would then mean that if we shall see face to face after the canon is closed, if we are fully known, uh, if we will know fully, even as we are fully known, after the canon is completed, we have one up on Paul. Somehow we know more than Paul. 
That's what's being implied here. If that which is perfect is the canon. And may I suggest to you, absolutely not. When will we know fully as we're fully known? When will we see face to face? When will be that mature man? When is that which is perfect has come? It will occur in the age to come. Not in the completed canon. The completed canon does not fit this pattern that Paul has developed for us. The age to come, the new world, the new heaven, the new earth. After Christ returns and restores everything, that is the time then is. So I'm just going to suggest to you, right now then, now, now is now. You got that. Now, right now, in our present day, that's now. We're going to prophesy in part. We're going to know in part. We're going to move in the spiritual gifts in part. But then there's not going to be any need for the spiritual gifts because we will be in the very presence of God for all eternity, church. Amen? That is going to be awesome. But right now, we have a job to do. Between now and then, Jesus is not confiscated. From the, from the time that 1 Corinthians was penned around 53 AD, the, 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 till now, till the time Jesus comes, there is no removal of these spiritual gifts. The Spirit of God desperately needs to pour out himself, operate through us with these supernatural gifts, with supernatural love and character of Christ in order to complete this great commission. Church, there's a sense of urgency here that I need to, that I, I need to emphasize. So here's what I'm going to do. In, in now understanding this, we need to realize that there are many scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That wasn't just for then. It is for now today, church. 1 Corinthians 14.39, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. We're going to talk about prophecy next week, kind of get a clearer understanding. There truly is a lot of confusion in our day about this gift. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We talked about this last week. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That is for you today. Church, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Desire it eagerly. Zelao. We get the word zeal or to be zealous for. That is what this word is. Be zealous for them. Eagerly desire them. If you don't have them, pray for them. We're going to get into that in the very end. Regardless, 2 Timothy 1.6, it says this. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. We talked about this earlier a couple weeks ago. Do you realize that when we refuse to allow the Spirit of God to move through us in prophecy, in tongues, in interpretations, with miracles, with teaching, generosity, leadership as well. When we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to operate through us, Paul tells us here, you do quench the Holy Spirit. You put out the Spirit's fire. Quenching the Spirit has to do with spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, where it says grieving the Spirit, that has to do with sin. When we sin, that grieves the Holy Spirit. But when we curtail the work of the Spirit in our lives, and as teachers, as pastors, doing that in other people's lives, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes it very clear, don't do that. So 
Let's not put out the Spirit's fire, but rather fan these gifts into flame. God forbid Jesus' followers should be tongue-tied. Yeah, you think on that one. Now, today I want to focus on tongues. And I'm going to just go through a series of questions. We're going to answer them, and then we're going to conclude with some ministry time. So here's my first question. Are tongues merely human foreign languages, and are they evangelistic? Do you understand that question? Are tongues merely human languages? And the reason why I'm asking this is because at this conference, for example, I listened to one of the speakers, um, and he, he started out by saying, the reason why we know that tongues are not for today is because this gift of tongues that's going around are not human languages. As a matter of fact, we've done studies on these. Uh, he doesn't mean we, but there have been studies done on these, and they don't fit the normal patterns of language, human language, that we know. Therefore, they are not human languages, and therefore, they are not the tongues that were displayed in the early church. And their contention is tongues were human languages. Is that true? And my, the, the other part of the question is, are they merely evangelistic? Are they human languages? Acts chapter 2, do you remember when the Spirit filled them, and they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke in what languages? The languages of the people that were there. The languages of the people that were there. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that this was a unique situation. Number one, nobody laid hands on them, as we see happen. No one prayed for them to, to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit just suddenly fell. Another uniqueness there were tongues of fire. Nowhere else in the other four examples of spirit reception in the book of Acts do tongues of fire appear above their heads, but in Acts 2 it did. No other place was there a sound of a tornado blowing through the, the building, but there was in Acts 2. Nowhere else were there unbelievers present when the spirit fell on people in Acts 8, 9, 10, well, maybe Acts 8 if you want to include uh, Simon the sorcerer, 9, 10, or 19. Those who were believers were the ones that received the Spirit, and they all spoke in tongues and prophesied, or at least in, for Paul, there, he became immediately activated in evangelizing because he had been empowered by the Spirit. But there were no unbelievers there, and there was no interpretation. And as we are going to read in Acts 14, a ter interpretation accompanies this gift of tongues when it's done publicly. That didn't happen in Acts 2 because they spoke in a language that they knew. There was no need for interpretation. So all of these things highlight the very fact that Acts chapter 2 is unique. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because a big point is made in Acts 10, excuse me, Acts 11, that the, the, as Peter is defending the spirit falling on Cornelius' household, Gentile, I, I, I had nothing to do with this. I, was not, I wouldn't even done my sermon, and man, the spirit fell, and they began to speak in tongues. I, I, they, and it says they received the spirit just as we did in the beginning. Now, because he says just as we did in the beginning doesn't mean that they spoke human languages. Acts 2 actually, in many ways, is not a pattern for tongue speaking in the rest of Acts for the various reasons that I just shared with you. There are some other reasons, and, and, and I want us now to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And 
as we, we look at this, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, wow, where does that come from? Of angels? But have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And the contention that's made here is they, they say, well, wait a second, you know, there's exaggeration here. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to prophesy so that you can fathom all knowledge and all mysteries. You're going to move mountains with your faith. Obviously, Paul is using exaggeration here. So he is obviously using exaggeration when he says, even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Well, the only gift was the gift of tongues of men and no gift of angels was ever given. So he's exaggerating. Do you understand their point? But And I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but can I just suggest to you, even if we're to understand that we fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, he may well mean all kinds of mysteries, all kinds of knowledge. And it may not be exaggeration at all. And, And then I have to step back and say, and this is a curious question, though, is faith that moves mountains... Is that really an exaggeration? We, call, we use the term hyperbole. And it comes from Jesus himself. Was Jesus using hyperbole? Now, even though there is no record of anyone commanding a mountain to be removed or commanding a mulberry bush to be removed and cast into the sea, does that mean that this is hyperbole? If you had never read the book of Acts before and I were to say, you need to have faith so that you can part seas, would you say, oh, Mike, I know you're using exaggeration. That's hyperbole. I would then say, you need to read the book of Exodus because it actually happened. What? An entire sea parted? That's right. God did that. If I were to say to you and you'd never read the Gospels, you can have faith so that even though you have only five loaves of bread, God can multiply that through your faith to feed 5,000 more. Oh, Mike, you're just exaggerating. No, I'm not. It sounds that way, but we actually read about that in the Gospels. Jesus did this. So I'm not even convinced that Paul is using exaggeration here. But if he were, can I just ask you this? Where is he using, follow me here, where is he using exaggeration, if he is using it at all? It's what the gift could potentially accomplish. Do you see that? What the gift could potentially accomplish. The exaggeration is never used with the gift itself. Now look through your list there in those few verses I read. What spiritual gifts does he actually talk about? He talks about speaking in tongues of men and angels. He talks about prophecy. He talks about faith. He talks about generosity, and then he talks about martyrdom, surrendering your body to the flames. And if you don't do these things in love, as amazing as some of these things were, but you don't do it in love, it means absolutely nothing. Wow. What an amazing statement. You can part a sea, but if you don't do it in love, 
If you do it for selfish reasons, it means literally absolutely nothing. Now, as I mentioned those gifts, do you see any exaggeration in the, in the gifts? You may possibly, though I don't see it, you may possibly see exaggeration in what they accomplished moving mountains, but you don't see it in the gifts. So I'm going to suggest to you that when he talks about speaking in tongues of men and of angels, can I suggest to you that God may use you to speak in the tongues of men, human foreign languages that you don't know, but he will also have you perhaps speak in the tongues of angels, heavenly language. You see, th there's no exaggeration here. Actually, as, as we move on to chapter 14, we also discover, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. I want you to follow Paul's argument here. Because many of the Corinthians speak in tongues in the, in their privacy, in the privacy of their homes. When they come to church, they do the very same things out loud, one after the other, speaking in tongues. There's no interpretation, and it is creating confusion. And it's because they lack an understanding of how to use these gifts. So he's instructing them in chapter 14, both with prophecy and tongues. And this is what he says about tongues. He says, even, verse 7, are you there with me, chapter 14? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet, so he mentions the flute, the harp, now the trumpet. If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So his point here is the need for an interpretation, not just the noise, but help me understand and comprehend these noises, either in variation of notes or a clear trumpet call. Why are you blowing your trumpet, okay, for battle? Now, listen, to, look at this, verse 8, again, excuse me, verse 9, so it is with you. Can you just underline that phrase, so it is with you? What that tells me, so it is with you, is that Paul just gave us an analogy. Do you see that? He uses the analogy of what? The flute, the harp, and the trumpet. So it is with you. Now that I just talked about these things that I think you can understand on musical instruments, so it is with you. Now, let me bring what I'm sharing with you uh, in these physical instruments out of the analogy and let me apply it. And he says this, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Verse 10, he begins another analogy. Now, we know that this is an analogy because how does he begin Verse 12, do you see that? So it is with you. What did we just learn about that phrase, so it is with you? It, it hallmarks or highlights an analogy. He is now in verse 12. He's going to pull it out of the analogy, and now he's going to bring it into application of what he's talking about, tongues and prophecy. So it is with you. Underline that phrase. You found it now in what verses? Eight? Excuse me, 9, excuse me, 9, beginning of 9 and beginning of verse 12. So let's begin with verse 10. What is this analogy that he uses? Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. He's talking about foreign languages. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So what is his analogy? His analogy 
is a foreign language. Would it not be silly that if tongues, the gift of tongues, were merely unlearned foreign languages, that he uses foreign languages as an analogy? Of course he wouldn't. Because generally, tongues are in are a heavenly language. The uniqueness of Acts 2 is that they were in human languages. Generally speaking, though, I would venture to say that tongues are in a heavenly language. That's why you can't test it. That's why you can't do some sort of modernized test to follow, you know, human patterns of language. Because it's going to be beyond our understanding. It is the spirit praying or, or speaking through us. And there is a spiritual, heavenly, even divine dynamic here that's, that may not be associated with human languages, such as grammar and syntax and these kinds of things in any way. So I'm going to suggest, don't try and apply the principles we find in human languages to discern whether these tongues presently today are languages of some kind. Because they're spiritual. They're not going to follow the patterns necessarily for human foreign languages. But the point here is that he uses foreign languages as analogy. And he begins verse 12 with, so it is with you. Now, let me pull this out of the analogy of human languages. And let me talk to you about the gift of tongues. And he can do that because, generally speaking, the gift of tongues is not human languages. Do you, do you see his argument here? And he goes on and concludes, so it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Because the problem was they were just speaking in tongues with no interpretation, and it became a platform for a focus on me. It became a platform, honestly, for confusion. Are they evangelistic? Now, I'm going to go through the rest of these questions rather quickly because I want to make sure there's time for uh, ample time for the conclusion. Are they evangelistic? And as in Acts 2, I want you to, to realize that it says there that when they were speaking in tongues, they were declaring the wonders of God. They were declaring the wonders of God. And I'm going to suggest to you that they were not evangelizing. The people, the crowd, more than 3,000 that gathered, indeed, they heard them speaking in their language, but it wasn't the gospel. You see, that was Peter's job. That's why Peter had to stand up. When he stood up, he then began with Joel chapter 2, how that was just now fulfilled, and he launched into a gospel message about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ calling them to repent, be baptized, to believe in Jesus Christ, that he is truly the Christ, the promised Messiah, the king that now sits upon David's throne. That was the gospel message. That was Peter's job. It wasn't the job of those who were speaking in tongues. And actually, follow me here now, chapter 14. Let's move back a few verses. And what does it say right there in verse 2? Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. When I'm evangelizing, who am I speaking to? Who are you speaking to? Are you speaking to man or are you speaking to God? You're speaking to man. You are speaking to man when you evangelize. But what, what is tongues? 
Who are we speaking to in the gift of tongues? We're speaking to God. That's why they were declaring in Acts 2 the wonders of God to God. Just like in a worship. I'm not, I'm not speaking to you per se. I am speaking to God and glorifying him and declaring his glories and his wonders and his awesomeness and his everlasting love. I mean, we could just keep going on and on. And this is what tongues will do. It will, it's to God. It is declaring the wonders of God. And an interpretation then would reflect that, would it not? So I'm going to suggest to you that tongues are not evangelistic. Because it had been thought, well, Augustine actually said the gospel has gone to all the nations, and so therefore we don't need the gift of tongues. Well, he had a misunderstanding of what tongues were for. And he was also misunderstood. Uh, he, he lacked understanding with regard to just how far the gospel had gone. Does tongues plus interpretation equal prophecy? That's my next question. And um, some of these questions are very common questions. And if you probably have more questions, I would recommend Sam Storm's book, um, Language of Heaven. Um, I mentioned that to you some weeks ago in beginning this series. But I want us, it, it, as we ask this question, do tongues plus interpretation equal prophecy? Let me just continue reading here. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks not to God, but to who? To men. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. These are guidelines. If God ever gives you a prophetic word, this is what it will do. It will build up. It, will, it, will, it may well challenge. There may be an element of correction but it will always edify. It will always build up. It will bring comfort. It will, yes, at times bring challenge, but it will strengthen, encourage, comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds up himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there is a common misapprehension in the charismatic movement that's been going on for several decades now that tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy, but this is not true. Because prof excuse me, tongues are always to God, and when the tongue is interpreted, it will reflect that. You will never hear Based on what Paul is saying, you will never hear an interpretation of a tongue go something like this. Oh, my people, if you would but hear my voice, I am calling you to follow me, for I love you. You see, that is clearly man-directed. But how are tongues directed? To God. And it would be interpreted something like this. God in heaven, you are amazing and awesome. Your son, Jesus his glory fills the earth, and you are worthy of our praise. You are our glory. Something along these lines, something like a psalm. Actually, if you move, as you move on, if you look down there in verse four, uh, 13, 
He says, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. And I'm going to encourage you, by the way, if God lays a tongue on your heart, even in the privacy of your house, as you might be praying and you begin to pray in the spirit or in a, the gift of tongues, ask God to give you an interpretation. He may do that. He may choose not to. But when it's done publicly, there should always be an interpretation. Why? Because without an interpretation, it's, it's just like um, a flute or a harp in which there's no distinction of notes. It's not going to build us up. We're not going to know what you're saying. It's going to breed confusion. And so when there is a tongue with an interpretation, it is going to be directed towards God. Follow me here, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So tongues can be in the form of prayer. Do we pray to men? Of course not. We pray to God, right? Okay. But my spirit is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. So pray in English, guys, except he would say pray in Greek or Aramaic or whatever. You know, pray in your language, not just in tongues. I will sing with my spirit. There we go. There's another example of, of how tongues can be used. Not just praying, but now singing. Do you sing to people? I remember when I was uh, engaged and I had written a song for my wife and we went to a park, a state park, beautiful. I sat down by a little stream, pulled out my guitar and I sang my, my silly song, at least in my, it was silly, but it, I sang this song to her. Rarely are songs to people, especially here as we worship God, we are singing to, not, not your wife, you're singing to God himself. And so again, it's man to God. So we can pray in the Spirit, we can sing in the Spirit, and then he goes on, and he said, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving, well, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. And so we can praise God, we can give thanks to him as well. Okay, so are you getting a, maybe a clearer understanding of this gift of tongues? Now, many times, these tongues happen when we're praying over people. I've, I had someone come up to me some years ago, and they said, Michael, there, I, I, Pastor Mike, I have a real concern here. Um, I went to the altar, and she, this lady was a Christian, and she had actually been baptized with the Spirit had her own prayer language and such, and she was praying at the altar, and she said, and then someone came up to me, and they began to pray over me, and I could hear them praying in tongues. And the Bible says, you can't do that. And I was very offended. And I asked her, I said, can I ask you this? Why were you offended? Because the Bible says you're not supposed to do that. I said, were they praying over you loudly? Were they praying in a way to make sure that you heard them? Because generally we have a band that's playing. Were they playing, praying so loudly in their prayer language that, so that you could hear? He says, well, no, but I could still hear them. And I said, can, can you just concede something here? And their intention was not to offend you, but it was simply to pray because the Spirit is now praying through them and they are wanting more what God has on his heart for you than what they might think God has for you. So they were praying in the spirit over you. And when we train our leaders for altar ministry, 
um, if, if they have the uh, prayer language, to do so. Don't do it loudly, but don't be afraid either to pray in the Spirit over them. Their purpose is not to offend, but we do know this. Scripture says, towards the end of 1 Corinthians 14, he says in verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Now, speak to himself and God doesn't mean he doesn't say anything, but he does so silently. Because this is just between me and God. If you happen to hear it, I'm sorry. I hope none of you are ever offended if I am praying over you and I pray in a prayer language and you don't understand it. I hope that doesn't offend you. I'm not seeing why it should. But simply, as I'm praying, God, you know what? I'm praying for this person, and I really have no clue how to pray for them. I, I, I need your help right now, and would you just pray through me? And so please understand my heart for you, and anyone's heart would be good, I believe. And they're just simply wanting the very heart of God for you. And I'm just going to conclude with this question. I'm, I'm skipping a few, but what should I do if I don't speak in tongues but desire to. And some of you here, you, you may not have received the gift of tongues. That doesn't make you some second-class cr Christian. Some of you have faith beyond the measure that I have when you pray for people's healing, and God heals people when you lay hands on them. Or God works through you in the gift of revelation. That is a gift that's spelled out in 1 Corinthians 14. And he may not give that gift to someone else. Just because someone has a gift does not elevate them. And so I'm just going to ask, because tongues can actually build up our spirit, I believe there is more of an inclination that God would want to more freely give that. And I'm just going to ask, if that is you, what does 1 Corinthians 14 1 tell, you, tell us? First of all, follow the way of love and, and that Greek word there, kai, generally translated and, can sometimes mean and then. And I'm of the inclination that that's what he's talking about. So follow the way of love and then eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But never desire spiritual gifts if the heart of love is not in you. And so, first of all, have no problem asking God for a prayer language. And God can use that prayer language not only to minister to you, but to minister over people more effectively. And can I just give an example? Many times, as I'm praying over somebody, I, there is, I just, I don't feel I'm supposed to ask them, how can I pray for you? There's nothing wrong with that. And so I just begin to pray in the spirit over them. And many times, not 100%, but many times as I'm praying over them in the spirit, God will begin to show me how to pray over them. Now, I don't know why God has me do that. I f would have to say, I feel led. This is what, how God is wanting me to do it. And again, there's nothing wrong for ask, with me asking them, so tell me, how can I pray for you? All right? But there are times in which I won't do that. And, and it may well be that God is simply wanting to show them, I love you so much, I'm actually going to show this person how to pray. I call that prophetic praying, whatever term you want to use. But it's just praying is the spirit of God in English. Praying is the spirit would lead you. And I generally begin by just praying in the spirit. Whether they hear me or not is inconsequential. Okay? Some of you, as you're listening to me right now, when you were initially baptized in the spirit, you spoke in tongues. 
This happened to me when I was age 14. It did not happen the way I anticipated it happening. I thought, honestly, I thought I was going to go into a trance and my lips were just going to start moving and words coming out of my mouth completely involuntarily. But scripture says that even as the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and, it tell, and therefore the spirit of the tongue speaker is subject to the tongue speaker, the, you can many times choose when you are going to speak in tongues and when you are not. Because your spirit is the one who is praying God's spirit through you, but your spirit is in control here as you're yielded to God's spirit, of course. And so never will someone just suddenly stand up in a service and start speaking in tongues. Neither will someone stand up in the middle of a service and just start prophesying so that it creates complete chaos or disorder or interruption because the spirit of the prophet and tongue speaker is subject to that speaker. But some of you, when you were baptized in the Spirit, it was awkward. It was weird. It, it didn't happen the way you anticipated. The words, as they're coming off your lips, maybe it, it, it even humiliated you. Oh, my goodness. This is just so simple. It sounds like gibberish. It sounds childish. And many times, tongues can sound this way. But what happened is that you stopped speaking in tongues. It happened maybe one time. And then it stopped. I know for, for some of you, this happened. For me, God put me in a position two months later. I had not spoken in tongues for two months. It, it was just weird. To be totally honest with you, it was just weird. And then I'm at this huge conference, small conference of about 60,000 Christians gathered there on a Wednesday night at a Jesus rally. On muddy, I remember Muddy Creek, Pennsylvania, near Harrisburg, and there we are on this huge farm, and there's like 60,000 of us gathered, and people are, are beginning to worship, and they, he said in this last verse, we're just going to play, and you just sing whatever words you want to sing. You just sing whatever words you want to sing, and as I began singing, the Lord began singing in tongues through me, and it's the first time that it happened, and then from that point on, it happened regularly, and I'm suggesting this because church... Maybe some of you have just thought, this is, this is just too weird. This is not what I expected. You know what? If you are humbled and truly asking God for this gift, because it builds you up and has the potential to build you up and God using you in ministry, then can I just say, God is not going to give you a scorpion if you're asking him for bread. He's not going to do that. He's not going to give you some satanic or self-motivated, self-focused gift instead of a true spiritual gift. And so here we are, and I'm going to conclude with this. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 4. And Jesus is talking about how he has been anointed for a particular purpose. And I'm going to conclude with this. And in just a moment, I'm going to have the band come up, and I would like us to conclude with this song. In broken vessels, and, and Rose and I did not coordinate this whatsoever, but how interesting that the, the last two, I think it was the last two songs, had to do with brokenness. And I was going to conclude with Luke chapter 4. But he says this, raising up the broken to life. You know, as I would stand there 
just saying, God, how do you want to use me right now in the body? You know, it's not hopefully just to preach the word, but to use other spiritual gifts. That God would want to speak through you. Maybe you've never prophesied. I remember the first time when I prophesied, I was in my teen group I was overseeing, and one of the teens, as the teens were gathered there, it was at the end of worship, and God just began to lay this word on my heart. And I was really new at this. And the Lord showed me there's one of the teens here, and before you came to this meeting, you got into a really horrible argument with your parents, and you are confused in your walk with Christ, and it is probably because you still do not know him. And you're not just in rebellion against your parents, but you're in rebellion against God. And the Lord laid that word on my heart, and I just thought, oh my goodness, God, what if I'm wrong on this? And the Lord just kept bringing it to me. I shared that word, and I said, who might this word be for? And one of the young men who'd been a part of the group only one year raised his hand, and we went over to him, and that evening, he gave his heart to Christ. And God, see, this is the nature in which God just says, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to operate through natural means. I want to operate through my spirit right now in an unusual fashion. And Jesus says this, he, that why does the spirit anoint us? What is, the, what is he accomplishing here? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So the Spirit of God is going to anoint you, my friends, to preach, to proclaim the gospel to the poor, those who are spiritually bankrupt, in need of the Spirit of God to change their life, to, to minister truth into their brokenness, to be able to forgive them of their sins, for them to realize that apart from God, I can accomplish no good thing. We are spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. He will declare that through you supernaturally by His Spirit. He goes on, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. I mean, is this spiritual blindness, physical blindness? The only answer I know of is yes. Yes, it is. Jesus did both. Freedom for the prisoners. God is going to speak through you. And the truths that you share, because they are birthed by the Spirit, will set captives free unlock the heart i can't do that but the spirit of god can and then he says this to release the oppressed i'm reading from the niv the literal translation here is to send away in freedom the broken crushed ones i mean this of all four of these these are the most this one is the most precious to me when you have a vessel, a piece of pottery, an antique, and you bump it, and a little part chips off, you can generally glue that very carefully, but glue it into place so that it's almost unnoticeable. That is not what this word means. What this word means is, is you're carrying it, it falls out of your hands, it falls on the ground, and it is now shattered. You cannot repair that. When I was 14 years of age, I was a broken, crushed one. Many of you, before you came to Christ, before he began to mend your life, you were broken beyond repair. I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to just sing the last portion of that verse. 
I'm just going to conclude as they're moving up. I'm going to conclude with this. Jesus wants you as a broken vessel to be healed and mended. He says this in this last song that we're going to sing. Once I was broken, but you loved my whole heart through. God, as we are singing this worship song, may have you minister to someone. You, are gonna, you may well have the opportunity to minister to a broken heart that Jesus is wanting to mend and restore. Because it is not something that man can do. I don't care how good the counselor you go to is, but this is something that only God can put back together again. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is his grace. As we worship, would you ask God, God, can I minister to someone? And on the other hand, however, if you feel that there is a brokenness in your heart that you're wanting God to minister to, could you maybe just raise your hand or make your way up front here and allow the people of God to minister over you? Could we do that? Could we kill the lights here? Father, I just ask you, as we conclude with this worship song, would your spirit fall on us? Yes, Jesus. As the broken crushed ones, as those in desperate need of being mended by your spirit, by your love, your power, would you minister through the body? Would you sing through us? Spirit of God, would you heal us?